0: Good evening everyone, welcome to Brooklands. I'm Steve Clark and thank you for being here and as ever thank you for supporting the Trust. I'm going to start with an apology tonight ladies and gentlemen because we had billed Sam Bird to be here tonight, the Formula E driver, but when we booked him he did say that if there were any commitments to his Formula E team that took him overseas he couldn't be here and as you would expect as soon as he said that he couldn't be here. But we will get him back in his own right sometime next year. You know, I can't believe, I'm just saying to Steve and the guys that are here, I can't believe that we we're over 12 months ago that we were not in this room, but we we're here to talk about electric vehicles. And what a great evening that was. And I was really, I have to admit, surprised at the amount of interest that you showed in that uh, development. And that's the reason we decided to get back together this evening. Now, I think we've assembled a remarkable panel tonight, and I believe it's probably the first in the UK where we've got so many people with so much knowledge to come and talk to you tonight. But that's been down to one person um, who's made this happen. Not me, unfortunately. Will you please welcome the editor-in-chief of Autocar, great friend to the museum and a great friend to me, your host for the evening, Steve Cropley.
1: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, thank you so much for coming here tonight. This is a, uh, it, it's a, it's great fun for us as well because this is such an interesting subject. I think you, by your attendance, you've shown that your interest is there and also um, that uh, perhaps what we did a year ago uh, sparked your interest. But we have a much more uh, wide-ranging and learned panel this time, so much uh, that I can't even be uh, I can't even fit on the stage for two reasons. Um, let me introduce the, the panels. I'll, panel. I'll ask them to come and um, sit down and then, and then we'll, uh, we'll discuss who's who. <coughs> Welcome gentlemen. So what I'm going to do is introduce these gentlemen, but also ask them to say a little bit about what they do. Um, next to me is Will Nightingale, Watt Cars chief road tester. Road tester for many years now. Um, he's driven all of the cars that count. All that. We're going to later we're going to discuss the electric cars on the market, and Will is the bloke who can tell you which ones are good and which ones are not quite so good. There's no bad ones, I don't believe, but but. Uh, Anyway, he's going to sort wheat from chaff. Next to him is Paul McNamara from Williams Advanced Engineering, Um, a man who who creates these machines. Uh, He will tell us in a sec what are the the breadth of his ability. I've known him in two or three different jobs, all of them extremely high tech. Uh, Next to him is Ben Fletcher, head of, former head, sorry, of electric cars for Renault till a few weeks ago. Uh, was here last year, and uh, well, to judge by the number of people that wanted to talk to him afterwards and formed a queue, I think he went down pretty well. And uh, of course, Tom Callow who is uh, BP Charge Master, it was Charge Master, it's now BP Charge Master, uh, Head of Strategy, something like that, um, <laughs> who uh, who uh, knows? I mean, could do this on his own. Um, you, some of you who were here will remember him. Um, I'm going to, first of all, ask these gentlemen to just give us a couple of sentences about what they do and then I'm going to ask Tom to do a, a little intro. The plan tonight is not to start from the ground floor but to, to discuss what's happened in the last year or two because as you'll be acutely aware, some of you have bought EVs in the last year, the, the rate of progress, the rate of sales, the rate of knowledge has increased enormously. So. It's, it's the sort of recent experience that we want to concentrate on, and we've got the people to do it. Um,
2: so
1: Will, just, just give us a, a, a quick rundown about what you do.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I think Steve's already summed a lot of it up. I uh, am in charge of testing for Wattcar. Over the years, I've worked for Wattcar and Autocar, but at the moment, uh, moment solely Wattcar. And I think. You know, EVs, we're testing more of them than ever. One of the biggest things that's changed over the years, over the last year, is that we started to range test uh, them relatively scientifically ourselves. So, we're not just relying on the WLTP figures or the previous NEDC figures to, to tell you how far you can get between charges, basically. So, that's, that's probably the biggest change over the years, and I think we'll probably talk about that a little bit more
4: later on.
1: Yeah, sure, we will. Paul?
4: Hi there, so um, I'm Paul McNamara and I'm (coughs) a powertrain engineer all of my career, but over the last five or six I've had to very much change from diesel and petrol engines to electric powertrains. Um, I work for Williams. Williams has got into it mainly because of Formula One kinetic energy recovery systems that uh, were sort of a forerunner for a lot of today's technology. Then into Formula E, uh, Williams operates the Jaguar (coughs) Formula E team. And yes, they're off testing this week with all the teams, so that's where where Sam is. So our responsibilities at Williams are developing those high-performance powertrains, high-performance batteries, being at the leading edge of it, and then getting that into uh, high-performance cars, generally products for people like Aston Martin, Lotus, um, other high-end people. But we've also set up a factory in the UK so we can offer a UK ability to manufacture batteries here. Um, and we're very much hoping we can get a lot of momentum behind that for Jaguar, Land Rover, Aston Martin over future years.
5: Ben? Uh, Ben Fletcher. So, until very recently, I was in charge of Renault UK's um, electric vehicle programme. So, as part of that, I was in charge of the vehicles, I was in charge of how we talked about them, about the pricing, about the customer offers. So, I was in that for about six or seven years, which really helped me to be right at the sort of forefront of understanding what people thought about electric vehicles and how that progressed over time I'm immensely proud of a lot of the things that that we saw and did and it's a very different part of the market than than some of the sort of more publicized parts you know the high-end stuff obviously really really exciting really really glamorous but actually there's also a place there which I'm sure that Will and Tom will talk about for more affordable vehicles as well there for sort of everyday everyday usage and on a personal moment I was really, really proud to see that Kangoo advert up there, because actually that's been about 18 months since I last saw that. So, just for information, that was actually released on Valentine's Day a couple of years ago, so quite nice.
6: Tom. Uh, Tom Callow, uh, Director of Comms and Strategy for Charge Master. Uh, I've been in the EV space for nine or ten years, and uh, I, I don't look it. Um, but um, <coughs> really for me, um, it's quite funny, I was thinking, Harking back, and then we're talking about present day. Uh, I first met Steve when I was on work experience in a PR agency in about 2006. And, um, and we were at um, Toaster, and we did a, a test of a Ford Mustang that was uh, produced by a company called Zero Shift. Uh, and they were making a, effectively a, a sort of gearless transmission, right? So it's basically a single-gear transmission. You put your foot down and you just go all the way up to top speed in a single gear. And um, we said, well, wow, would it be great if cars in the future could just go all the way up to top speed in a single gear, and now I drive one? It um, <clears throat> doesn't happen to have a V8 under the bonnet, but anyway. Um, so, so, you know, there's been a lot of progress uh, for, since then, but also in the last year. So one of the things I'll dwell on is, um, is, is what the BP impact has been uh, in terms of our business and, and, and the, well, the wider market. So kind of what are the key kind of uh, movements in sort of charging infrastructure, particularly over the last 12 months?
1: Okay, do you want to, you, you're the Stato we have here,
6: <laughs>
1: the so do you want to attack the, just summarise really where we've been, what we're going to talk about from the point of view of you know, the market and understanding of
6: it. Sure, yeah, so um, apologies for the slides, I will canter through them at a nice pace. So, um, oh, well hey, look at that, it's like <laughs> curtains and everything. So, uh, you probably saw this last year. So, this is a quick reminder of kind of where the markets come from in the last few years. So, again, people like me were picking around EVs back back when the graph was nearly at zero. So. Although a lot of people will still think the EV market is very nascent and very small, actually, uh, as people have been involved for quite a while, it's fantastic to see a you know, quarter of a million EVs on the roads in the UK now. Um, so this just shows you the annual registrations there, growing year on year, and your, your yellow line is cumulative. So we're, near, you know, we're up to 250,000 registrations, probably get to about 70,000 registrations this year. And that's, that's really limited by supply at the moment in vehicle, vehicle manufacturers.
1: So uh, this is, sorry to interrupt, but this is... EVs and plug-in hybrids. This, yeah. this is what we, we define
6: as electric vehicles, defined by uh, vehicles that can be plugged in. So we're talking plug-in hybrids and, <coughs> and full electric cars as well. I know some EV drivers will hate me for that <coughs> definition, but it's, it's the motor industry's official definition, according to the SMMT. So there you go. Um, so, so this year, uh, as I say, we, we were projecting about 70,000, 80,000 sales. We're we'll probably actually close to 60,000. Uh, and that's really limited by supply, which we'll, we'll probably come on to a bit later, in terms of the, one of the big challenges in the market is getting the vehicles here and getting them here quickly. Um, so just, just to give a bit of context around the growth of the market, so um, one of the things I looked at was you know, people are familiar with hybrid cars, so things like the Toyota Prius, you know, Lexus hybrids, so non-plug-in cars, um, and the first eight years those cars were on sale in the UK, um, they achieved sales of around about 50,000 cumulative. If you look at pure electric cars, even just pure electric cars, they've actually outstripped that in their first eight years on sale. And actually, if you take all electric cars, including plug-in hybrids, they've massively outstripped that. So if you think about how prevalent things like the Toyota Prius have become in terms of hybrid market, actually the first eight years of sales of electric cars have been even even stronger. This is a nice... I know it's not quite a year, so I'm going back two years here on the first step, but this was something we we found recently with uh, some research from WaterTrader where they surveyed 3,000 consumers, as you can see there, 25% would consider an EV just two years ago, and now that figure's risen to 71%. So incredible amount of consideration now in EVs. It's not to say everyone's going to buy one tomorrow, but a huge amount of more consideration of electric vehicles. Um, so yeah, we're seeing the market growth there. The, the thing I'll pull out of this slide is um, what you see here on pure EV in the middle. This has got a little laser thing. Awesome. Um, so uh, the, the pure electric car market, so pure battery electric car, like a Jaguar I-Pace, um, there's one in the car park, you can't miss it. Um, you'll see why if you go out later. Um, uh, and um, the pure EV market there almost doubled compared to the registration at this point last year, so, so really, really strong growth in the pure EV market, which is really encouraging um, plug-in hybrids are tailed off slightly um, car manufacturers will tell you that's because of the government and they're evil um, it's not. It's purely that some of the plug-in hybrids that were really popular last year went off sale due to emissions regulation reasons, so they weren't on sale so guess what, people couldn't buy them uh, nothing to do with government grants, as much as uh, the media would love to tell you not will, obviously um, so Public charging infrastructure, which is kind of my, my, my bag. So, again, kind of going back further than just a year, but you can see even in the last year, we've seen tremendous growth in the number of charging points that are out there. So, you know, the cars are coming thick and fast now, uh, but so is the infrastructure. Um, and the most significant bit is probably the yellow bit at the top, which is all your really fast charging, so rapid charging, ultra-fast charging, which we've come on to. Uh, and that's, that's taking off at tremendous speed. Um, a little bit of jargon busting. So when we talk about rapid charging, ignore you can, if you're not a techie, ignore the green bit in the middle, just to look at the right-hand side basically you're going to get up to about 30 miles of range in 10 minutes so it doesn't seem like much for the amount of petrol you can get in 10 minutes um, and ultra fast charging which we'll come to talk about is about up to about 100 miles in 10 minutes at, f- at full whack um, so again, going back a little bit further than the year, but being a bit cheeky, um, this just this was a thing I did for another presentation recently. Just shows you this is I don't have access to everyone else's data, by the way. So this is why it's our network. I don't have access to the historical data for other networks. But on the left there, that was this is just rapid charging, so that fast fast standard of charging where you can charge quickly. Um, on the left there, that's, that's the network that we had as a company um, you know, five years ago. You know, That's literally it. It's 15, I think, rapid chargers across sort of the middle of England. On the right-hand side there, that's 500 rapid chargers across the UK. So it is really expanding at pace. Um, one of the things that's increasing a lot is, is the utilisation, which is something I sat over all the time. Um, and actually, the, the green bars basically show you the number of rapid charging sessions that are happening on the network. Uh, and, and, the, and the average charge is the amount of energy per car. So there's two stories here. One is Um, The the EV market hasn't more than doubled in a year, but the number of rapid charging sessions have, so the the utilization of the infrastructure is growing, and I think that's because people are getting more confident in electric cars, they're driving further. You've got electric cars with bigger batteries, so people are driving further in them, they were more rapid charging, and the amount of energy they're taking is increasing as well, so that shows that people are doing more (coughs) charging and and driving further. a little sneak peek at our expansion of our ultra-fast charging network. So if you're familiar with Tesla, Tesla have a network across, uh, across the world called the supercharger network, which is what we define as ultra-fast charging. It's 120 kilowatt, we do 150 kilowatt. Um, they're actually bringing out faster charging on Tesla's network um, now. So this is our map of where we're going to get to by the end of the year. On the left, there, in terms of the sites across the UK that will offer ultra-fast charging. So it's sort of the, the sort of the, the beginning of our ultra-fast network, a bit like I showed you the beginning of our rapid charging network. And we'll have about 400 of those charges across the UK by the end of uh, 2021. This was our first site. We opened ultra-fast charging on a BP4 court, so that, that the type of infrastructure where you can get that really fast charge, 100 miles in 10 minutes potentially, depending on the electric car you drive. Um, first site was uh, near, near Heathrow at BP4 court. Um, and this was literally just a random photo when I showed up there one day. You know, you've know, got two cars on charge, two cars waiting to charge. So lots of utilisation, uh, and our, our next site actually has four charges as a, as a result of that, really. Um, okay, I was going to skip over that in the of time. Um, I'm really quick, literally five seconds per slide, because I'm stealing Will's thunder a bit here. But this was just to show you the types of car that are kind of coming. So all of these aren't quite on the market yet, but they're all coming very, very soon. So you've got everything from a city car, like the little Citigo there, 20 grand car, 164 mile range. mg LSEV is out now, 20-odd grand, 160 mile range. Mini Electric, again, next year, 24 grand car, 134 mile range, very premium. Similar product from Honda, the Honda e. Uh, Peugeot E208, um, again, 25 grand car, 200 mile range. There's an electric Corsa coming, which is the same platform, again, 200 mile range, 26 grand. Um, Obviously, most people are going to pay monthly prices for these cars. Obviously, the, the Renault Zoe, obviously the best car here. Huh. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, you don't well, <laughs> um, no, exactly. I can be agnostic, um, yeah. but it is still the best car there. Right. Price on the right there is um, is for the battery leased option, which we'll talk about a bit later if we need to. Again, two hundred. So we're seeing lots of two hundred mile range cars. The new Volkswagen ID, you know, the game changer from Volkswagen. One of the reasons it's called the ID three. Uh, is actually that that Volkswagen kind of sees it as the third generation of kind of almost people's cars. So you had the Beetle, you had the Golf, and then you've got this, and that's where Volkswagen clearly sees this as an absolute game-changing product for their company. Um, Tesla Model 3, Polestar's coming next year, really exciting new brand, um, sort of from the Volvo group. Um, Again, 300-mile range potentially on that car. Mercedes EQC SUV, and lastly the Porsche Taycan, which is... um, uh, been all over the press recently, so you've got everything from that city car to you know if you want a Porsche Taycan, if you um, if you can afford one, I'd love a test drive, um, <laughs> and uh, and that's who we are. So that's that's my little summary. That's not Great, good.
1: well done. The, the thing I would like to do uh, <clears throat> straight away, if you don't mind, is is have a talk about batteries because the battery, it seems to me, is the is the heart of all this. The, what is striking about your collection of stuff, Tom, is that th- the cars are smaller than than. Than the, you know, the Tesla Model Three and uh, and uh, sorry, Tesla, big Tesla, you know, that uh, that arrived first. And it seems to me that, either, well, as a journalist, you find that people either tell you batteries are making wonderful progress, or they they tell you they're going nowhere. They say they are approximately their capability expands by five percent a year. I want somebody who really knows what they're talking about, Paul, yeah. <laughs> to tell, tell us, give us, st- where, is, where have batteries been? What, what's the trajectory that they've described over the last five years and where are they going?
4: Okay. So, <clears throat> if, if you think about batteries and, and what they're trying to do in the, in the car, um, you're trying to get rid of your fuel tank, your exhaust system, your engine, your cooling, all of that goes, and you've got to put a, a, a battery in there. The, ba- the battery's the heavy bit because modern electric motors and a single-speed gearbox to go with it is nice and light. So all, all of that stuff is getting replaced with a battery. The problem that electric vehicle engineers face is that a modern cell, and they're usually little things <coughs> that look like AAA batteries, and you stick lots of them together, Approximately 50, they store 50 times less energy than the same mass of petrol. So you've got this factor of 50 if you want to make the thing uh, a sensible range. The thing you've got on your side is an internal combustion engine only about a 30% efficient, whereas an electric motor is about 96% efficient. So you've immediately got a factor of three in there. So your uh, factor of 50 that I just quoted for energy storage has come down to around about 16 or 17, and then you can chuck out a lot of very heavy internal combustion engines and things like that for relatively electric motors, and you're getting into a place where the, where the thing works. It only works at the moment for the sort of 200 mile range rather than the 600 mile range. Now. Where that's going to go is, is I agree with Steve's uh, headline of around about 5% a year, uh, step on step. The limit of the technology we use at the moment, which is lithium-ion, is probably about 50% better than where we are today. So if we make lithium-ion with all those 5%, it's not a forever thing. It will stop the chemists and the physicists tell us that technology runs out at about 50%. You've got a bit of engineering around the side that can help that, because that's just the pure chemistry. So um, a battery at the moment is the chemistry and lots of other things around the outside. (coughs) You've got to be able to conduct the current, you've got to be able to control it, you've got to be able to store it in a safe environment, you've got to have a case, and all that engineering makes up about another 50% of the battery. We can get that lighter and lighter. But where we are is we might reasonably see over future years, technology we've got at the moment to something like 80% better than where we are now. So you've got a 200-mile <coughs> range, you can get up to 380 through an iterative process. And that's still lithium-ion? That's still lithium-ion. What,
1: what about the one, the things we hear about, sodium, this and that, and um, and solid state and so on?
4: Yeah. So <coughs> it, the, the, the hope is that something big comes along beyond that, and, and that's um, solid state or semi-solid state that people talk about most. I mean, there's lots of other things we can talk about, lithium, sulfur, etc. but broadly it's focused on solid state. That would push us into um, more like doubling or tripling of where we are now. And you think about if you, if you could double or triple where we are now, suddenly you've got cars of 600 mile range, so you're back where you started and that's great. So, so, so it, if we can make that work. The reality is that is mainly in laboratories and universities at the moment. It's pre-industrial. Um, Dyson, which is a story in the media at the moment, that they started their journey on trying to get into solid state, realised that wasn't an industrial proposition in the timescales they were interested in, came back to lithium ion, struggled to make the whole thing work. So I think we're not looking in a reasonable time frame at some great new thing, solid state. It's about a, a steady engineering progression of what we've got, lithium-ion. I think that will produce a very uh, sound product that that will work to all intents and purposes for most passenger car applications. It's clearly a problem for heavy goods vehicles. It's clearly a problem for aerospace. Um, But, but you you know, whilst I've made some pronouncements about 80%, I do wonder about them sometimes. I mean, the best model we have (coughs) is the internal combustion engine that's around from the 1880s. It's still the same tech now, but it's a wildly different thing. A hundred years of innovation around the edges are, it does produce an amazing thing. We've only been on this journey for 10 years or so. So, so I rather suspect there's more that we can do than we think with the current But this
1: mind. is, in a way, this is good yeah. news, isn't it, for, the, for, for for people who are honestly looking at buying electric car because mm. they, they've heard, I've heard, that there's going to be some huge step in... 2025 if you're saying that it's unlikely then I would feel more able to commit to something now knowing that I wasn't going to be exposed in three or four or five years.
4: My my view is it will be a steady iterative thing not a changeover thing. I mean of course we are at a stage where the, the cars coming, most of them, I think, are probably second-generation EVs are the ones that we just we just looked at there. So they've had the benefit, first-generation EVs in there. A lot of understanding been built up in the industry, not necessarily in those manufacturers. And I think it will be a steady iterative process for the cars rather than some sort of step change that will... Well, what's your
1: view? You're a powertrain engineer, so you've worked on other powertrains, clearly. Yeah. Um, what's your view of the... Of the commitment that the motor industry seems to wholesale commitment, the motor industry seems to be making towards full electric. Do you believe that that's? Wh- what do you think the hope is for hybrids and plug-in hybrids? Are, are they a, are they a phase? Are they a, a halfway house, or are we are we heading for full electric? You reckon?
4: I think. Well, I mean, to answer that question, two parts. I mean, certainly. For me, I, I'm sort of working with the OEM engineering departments um, around Europe and Far East. There's no question that the majority of the effort energy of those departments is dedicated to um, electric vehicles and the sort of internal combustion engine developments are, are still there, but very much taking second state. So, you know, everybody is very highly committed to making those work. The I think the energy has shifted very strongly over the last three or four years into more the EV space. I think there's a realisation that's come upon the industry that we can make electric vehicles work, that hybrids are some sort of stepping stone, and the real basic problem with a hybrid is you're adding in just too much cost. They're very difficult to make commercially. Uh, viable in the long term, because you have to have an internal combustion engine, you've got to have an electric power train, you've got to combine it And the, there that. are
1: enough yeah. positive signs from, from the pure, pure EVs stuff. that
4: you can make that work, and, you, and it, as I was saying, you reduce the complexity, because you're chucking out an awful lot of oh, stuff right. and replacing it with the battery oh, that's very and, interesting. A, a motor and a motor. Ben,
1: let's, uh, let's just talk about the customer, you, you, that's what, you dealt with customers a lot, you, yep. you, tremendous amount of feedback. Who were the customers, who were the, uh, have we reached a point where, people can relax about owning an (coughs) EV yet or do they have to have a a kind of um, backup car. What, what's the? I think I, the
5: usage? I would certainly say that. Yeah, you can relax about owning an EV now and driving an EV and using one on your, in, in the everyday in an everyday uh, sort of scenario. In fact, interestingly, last week I, I got a, an old shaped Nissan Leaf for a for a colleague because she wanted a, she needed a car and so you bought it. Did you? I thought, yep. So I thought, well, I didn't buy it for her. That was not my money that I spent. <laughs> um, but. Um, But actually, the interesting thing was, she was coming from a hybrid, and so this was a car that we said, right, as a company, we're going to get you an electric vehicle. And when I went through the things that this car does, that her car doesn't do, so things like warming itself up when it's really cold outside, sending her a little report saying how how much energy is in it and what her range is going to be, allowing her to choose when she charges it, all those kinds of things that many of you in the audience will already know from taking for granted with EVs, actually, she was absolutely astonished by how much easier her life was going to be with that car than the car that she'd been that she'd been used to and the more people that there are out there who have experienced that and will talk to their friends in forums like this or when they go to the pub or over dinner or at work actually the more that message starts to starts to spread out so I'd actually argue that people have been able to relax about owning an EV for really quite some time now but it's really only that personal um, experience and that personal word of mouth that really gets that across because from a manufacturer point you can put adverts up on the, on the side of the road and of course whenever anybody looks at an advert you always look at it slightly sceptically going yeah of course yeah but they would say that but you look at things very differently when it's somebody you know or somebody you trust who's actually experienced it and, and going through it themselves.
1: But we are still talking about a particular kind of usage aren't we? I mean if, you, if you're somebody that needs to go to Glasgow a lot from here
5: yeah. and So, I think it's... Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. I've, <laughs> you stole, really my, drive. <laughs> stole my thunder. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think, you know, the, the Glasgow thing is, um, is, a, is a good example because it's amazing, I'm sure Tom would agree, when you stand next to an electric vehicle at a, uh, at a motor show or something, it's amazing how many people have a sick aunt who lives on Stornaway and regularly needs visits at the last <laughs> minute at two o'clock in the morning. Um, but, you know, absolutely, you know, those kinds of journeys, absolutely, there are people out there who do those. And at the moment an ev is perhaps not the the easy mainstream choice for them but for the kind of journeys that most of us do on a day-to-day basis of going to the shops or driving you know even somebody who's driving 100 miles a day is really doing quite a high mileage and even the, even the electric vehicles that were on sale last year, let alone these things that, Tom, that Tom's been talking about and Will will talk about, you know, those are more than capable of doing that and you won't even necessarily have to charge them up every day in, in doing it. So they really can suit a wide, range of, a wide range of usages. What's probably changed most over the last few years, though, is actually not so much about range, which is the thing that people think about, but it's more the diversity of the different types of cars that are out there. You know, The slides that Tom was showing show everything from a supermini all the way up to a sort of supercar performance luxury car and everything in between there. So it used to be the case that actually you might be able to live with the range, but if you've got an Alsatian and two kids, actually it's quite difficult to fit everybody into the cars that are on the market. That's no longer the case because actually you're getting as much choice in terms of interior space and features with the electric vehicles that are on the road as with the internal combustion cars.
1: Let's, um, let's do our stuff with the cars that are on the market. Will, could you... I realise you can hardly see anything. Do you want to sort of stand out or something? Because what we're going to try and ask right. our um, clever tech man is to... But what, what I'm hoping you'll do is just give us a, a sort of word picture of each of these cars and whether you like it and whether it does a good job.
3: Yeah, of course. So, well, starting uh, with the e-tron, I think one thing we'd say about that (laughs) uh, little dance. Um, Yeah. So the the, the official range of that car um, for something launched by the VW Group, premium end of the VW Group uh, in uh, this year, we were a little bit disappointed with that. We actually tested that ourselves um, with our only independent real range test, and we got just under 200 miles. It's supposed to do about 237. Um, I think is the official range. So that's actually quite that's a good good range compared with things we've been talking about, like Nissan Leaves and and, and Zoes. But it's um, perhaps a little bit disappointing. Where that car does really excel, though, is it's exceptionally refined. So the, the, the noise level we measure that on all cars at 30 and 70 miles an hour during our tests, and it's one of the one of the best we've ever. Ever tested, so that's I think another bonus of electric cars. I mean, everyone has their different preferences, but if you do like something that's really, really refined, um, that is as good as it gets at the moment in in the EV market. What do they say to you if
1: you if you your range, your you know, you call it real real world range, whatever. uh, When you when you say it's twenty percent less than they say it is, what what does the manufacturer say to you?
3: Uh, well, uh, most most are uh, a pretty understanding of it. I think the clear thing to point out is that it's not. We're, we're not saying that WLTP or the, the, the official test, as that's called, these days, it changed slightly um, uh, last year, is unachievable. It's just that you require a few things to be in your favour. You require quite good weather. You, you, you can't be doing high-speed motorway cruising for extended periods of time. Um, you might have to resort to using eco mode, things like that. So it's not that the official range is unachievable, but we're talking to a, a readership who potentially might be quite nervous about making that step to buying an electric car and to give them a, a range that they can achieve relatively easily without, you know, Got it. If, it, if it dips below ten degrees, going well, I can't make my journey anymore. So, yeah. um, so these are not pessimistic, but uh, I would say more realistic than um, the.
1: Let, let's just whip through these. Of course, yeah. There, so there's a few
3: DSE tents. Haven't actually driven. Launch of that's next week, so I can't tell you much about that. Um, but yeah, it's one we're looking forward to. That's a two o eight, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's based on that, but it's it's yeah it's. Yeah, it'd be similar, similar tech in, involved. Hyundai Kona is, uh, you actually ran one as a. I did, one, yeah, one, good one. performer. Yeah, really, really good thing. And that's actually the, of all of the cars we've ever tested, that has got the, f- the, f- the best range, 259 miles. And that's partly because it's got a very big battery in it um, for small cars. So it's lighter than things like Teslas and and, and E-trons, and that's um,
1: got the same powertrain as the Nero, hasn't it? The exactly
3: the same powertrain as the E-Nero. Below it, that's slightly bigger car, so I think that got 253 in our range test, it's so still one of the best that we've ever that we've ever tested. Um, that's actually our the What Car Car of the Year at the moment, first electric car that we've ever we've ever had win. Um, it's, it's actually a really great thing. Our our editorial director, b- I've done
1: 300 plus in one. In it, it.
3: Well, this is a, this is <clears throat> the point. So if you drive in a certain way, if you drive, I mean, if you driving 25 degrees yeah. outside, you will get further than that. If you, yeah. if you use eco modes, if, you, if you're not doing um, any motorway stuff, because our route takes into account motorway, city, rural, and obviously the motorway and the hill section really obviously. Gotcha.
1: Can I just interrupt one sec? Paul, you, you, mm. you, you, I think you'll be the bloke here that will know this. Why do those Korean cars do well? Some, some, of, the other, some of the other electric cars offer less or about what they promise, but we find that the Korean, we have found that the the Korean cars are particularly
4: good. I think what they've done, I don't know the numbers, maybe we'll know the numbers, is they've just physically put more kilowatt hours into the car per weight of
3: car. So the 64 is actually... So 64, yeah, but obviously a Tesla might have well, uh, a Model 3 would have up to 75 kilowatt-hour yeah. battery,
4: but it's a much heavier thing. Yeah. Right. So, so it's just, not
1: about they're, they're, they're doing wonderful batteries and no. other people doing ordinary no, batteries.
4: they've made a different choice about what they're doing with the car. They've kept the car really light and they've got a lot of battery in it. Yeah, interesting.
1: Um,
4: so kilowatt-hours per kilo, yeah. right? It's basically, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. kilowatt-hours. Kilowatt-hours is the size of your fuel tank. That's what they've done. They've got a bigger fuel tank in the thing and they've worked hard at the... Down weighting of the rest of the car so the car doesn't get too. Got heavy. you. Yeah.
1: yeah. Sorry, Will, I interrupted you, yeah.
3: you. No, no,
4: it's all. So, um, so uh, yes, iPace.
3: Uh, Steve's running one of those at the moment. He'd probably tell you it's uh, more about it than.
1: It very dirty, but it's there.
3: <laughs> <laughs> um, no, that's, that's what, certainly one of the best uh, premium uh, uh, EVs on the market. That's pretty good for range, uh, very good to drive for, for an SUV shaped uh, EV. And yeah, moving on to Ionic Electric, that's just been upgraded, so it's now available with the same battery that you can uh, that you get in the the Kona and the Enira, effectively. Apparently, it's
1: it's um, terribly expensive to have a, to engineer these power, complete powertrains, so you just have one. And is that right?
3: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah absolutely.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, mate. Go...
3: But no. One thing I'd say about the Ionic, actually, in terms of efficiency, it's the, the best car we've tested because obviously. The bigger battery the car has, generally, the further it will go. But there is also an efficiency uh, side of things. And obviously, the aerodynamics on an I- ionic are very good. So in terms of miles per kilowatt hour, that was the, the best we've ever tested. Oh. And in terms of the, the actual the extra spend for someone charging at home, it's not a great deal at the moment, but it's, it's something, something uh, of interest, I think. Um, so, yeah, EQC, that's another premium e- e-tron rival. Are they here yet? Yeah, we've driven that already. We we we, we twin tested it against the Etron, it's, uh, sorry, against the i-Pace. The i-Pace beat it, but it was fairly close. Uh, it's a it's a it's a decent thing. Packaging. It's base, It's based on a, a regular uh, Mercedes GLC. So the packaging's a little bit compromised. Some of their so future. Big and roomy. Yeah, it, but it's a little bit. So the next generation of Merck EVs are going to be designed from from ground up rather than the EQC, which is. Effectively, a, a so GMC
1: that's better packaging and perhaps lighter.
3: Exactly, and um, the well, that's this. The MG ZS EV is really interesting because I remember driving that, and I've got to be honest, I've driven the, the petrol car, and it's it's quite well priced, but it's not the greatest thing in the Pretty world ordinary, if, I, if, yeah. I, if I'm honest. Um, so I wasn't expecting a huge amount from from that, but for the money, and at one stage they were. I think they've reintroduced it actually. They were doing. A three and a half thousand pounds, matching the government grant. So effectively, it meant that you could have one from from twenty twenty one and a half and half grand. And um, for what you're getting, same range as a Nissan Leaf, much cheaper, a roomier thing. Actually, quite a nice interior. It's not the greatest thing in the world to drive, but it's but it's perfectly adequate. And I think in terms of the the, the um, if you, if you think how much you're spending on it. I think it's one of, one of the best mm. uh, cars that we've seen this year. Nissan Leaf, that's, that's, um, that's been around a while. Third iteration? Yeah, it's the second, but, it's, second. Um, but they have actually launched a, a new battery, a bigger battery version, which we tested the other day. That got 217 miles. I, when that came out, it, this is a sign of how quickly things are moving. When it came out, it won our uh, electric car of the year award a couple of years ago. And within six months, it had already, already been beaten. And actually now, it's okay. It's, it's, a, it's a decent thing. I, I, I wouldn't try and talk anyone out of buying it, but there are just better cars. They move, they, it moves so quickly. Wow. Uh, E2A, we've driven that broad. I haven't personally driven that, but that's effectively an E, uh, e Corsa. They're the same, uh, same car underneath.
1: Is the packaging all right in that, given that it's a little car with a fair-sized battery?
3: Yeah, no, I mean, with a, with that car, it, it, as a petrol, in petrol form, the 208, I, as I say, I haven't driven it personally because we haven't had it in the UK yet, but packaging's a problem, I think. Mm-hmm. Rear space isn't particularly great. But, you know, the range is okay. Stylish looking thing, I think, certainly for for sort of lower mileage users, it's, it, it seems pretty promising. No. <laughs> the, the twisty is... Uh, a novelty, it's not actually a car. It's a, it's a quadricycle. Yep. So it, it's yes, yeah, it's, it's it's good fun. It's not intended for you know proper commutes. Although actually one of uh, one of the, uh, somebody used to work on my team used to take it down the M three every day, which <laughs> I, I, I really wouldn't advise it. Still top, top speed of fifty. Yeah, Vicky, she uh, she she lives to tell the tale. But uh, no, it's it's good fun and obviously really really cheap. You actually have to rent the battery from um, from, from Renault on that on that one.
1: Good for sort of resort transport, I guess.
3: Yeah, and it, good for other climates. I think if you go to somewhere like Barcelona, you see they're rental cars and you can just, and that's great. But obviously in the UK, although you can get doors, they're effectively bits of sort of top all in that kind of <laughs> cover the car. So yeah, I mean low mileage, snipping around, fine. Um, and Zoe, well, actually. My wife actually has one of those, so I might be slightly biased, but um, but it does, yeah. Well priced is the main reason, and very good range for for the money that you're spending on it. It's not, you know, the biggest thing in the world. It's not the greatest thing in the world to drive, but I think there's actually a new version uh, that's just just coming out at the moment. Is it longer range? Bigger battery, nicer interior, and I think you know that could, particularly in the interior side of things, could. So
1: Presumably they're well-developed now, they've been making them for a while, haven't they?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I don't think they are, um, yeah, they're competing in a very different market. You've obviously, you can actually buy the car outright, which they call the iZoe, um, and you're, you're in the battery in the car, or you can do what, what we've actually done and rent the battery separately. So what that means is you, you pay a monthly fee depending on how many miles you do a year, and if anything goes wrong with the battery or it dips below i think seventy percent of its original charge um, uh, original opacity, then they will uh, replace the battery, but we 've got nowhere near that at the moment. The problem is obviously when you come to sell the car, you have to sell that contract with it, so someone actually has to sign up to the to, to leasing the battery, which yeah i 'm not sure how that 's going to go, but but we 'll see. Um, this well, is the third page, let's just do the third y- page. Yeah, uh, so 4-4 four, four and well 2 four fours there, yeah there's a 4-2, so those two are at the top, they are actually only available as, as electric now, Smart has dropped the 4-2 the petrol, it used to be available as a petrol or electric. And it's they,
1: going to be an electric company all together isn't
3: it? Exactly, yeah, so um, the range yeah. not particularly great, I think it was one of the worst we've ever tested, it's, we got about 60 miles out of it which, you know, this is, that's a, a city car. And, and it's it's cheap accordingly. It starts about 18,000. So if you're going to just, nip if you live in London, you're just going to nip around, uh, it, it's fine. But, yeah, I wouldn't recommend one of those as if you're doing any kind of motorway driving or even, you know, uh, anything more than about sort of 30 miles at a time. Um, Model 3, real, I think when Tesla first came out, there was a lot of excitement about the brand. The brand's really strong, and the cars, the range certainly, with, compared with other cars that were around at the time, was very impressive. But the cars themselves weren't necessarily dynamically brilliant. Uh, some build quality issues, which still, you know, still remain. But the Model 3 is a is a is a real step forward. And I think, you know, in terms of the way it drives, it's not quite up there with with petrol and um, uh, high, high performance petrol versions, the, the performance version of that. It's a heavy car, obviously, because it's got so many batteries in it. Uh, but it's it's a it's a it's a it's a pretty nice thing. So I, I think that's that's really moved things on. And if you look, how many car? I mean, it's the third best-selling car in in August in the country. Yeah. What was so. the,
1: do you remember that It was it was. Between the Focus and the Golf or
6: something in September. It, it was more than fo- so more than Focus think So f- so it was beaten by I don't know Fiesta and something else. I can't think.
1: And it, of it. would have been, that was about supply, I presume.
6: Yeah, and it, yeah, supply turning on. So, so you've got to think a lot of those people have been waiting three years for their cars, yeah. Um, yeah. including us. So you know there's a, there was a lot of pent up ordering that came at yeah. once. Mm-hmm. And August, you know, August is a quiet month. It's the lowest car registration months typically, but still very impressive for a for a pure EV of that of that yeah. price
1: point as well. You know, I really cool. find them. Really impressive. I really rate it. Um, can I? just to digress. Paul, just wh- what do proper engineers think of Tesla and their achievements? I mean, you're. you're, <laughs> you know, you're I don't mean that Tesla's not proper engineers, I mean uh, we haven't got a proper
4: engineer except him. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, th- I think for for the. OEM community. I mean, the the natural state of car manufacturers is very conservative, very slow, keep it safe, evolve on what you've done. And I think Tesla were the force that shook that up. You know, they showed that you can make attractive electric cars, that there was a market for it. You just needed to put a bit of scale behind it. They showed you could take lots of little cylindrical things like this, put several thousand of them together, that you could manufacture that you could put a viable product out there. So I think they've almost catalyzed the development that's happened behind it, that that's been their impact. I do think I have to say that in the long run, They'll probably get swallowed up by somebody, just my own view. But yeah. because I think running a car company is always a harder proposition than than, than newcomers think in terms of the dealer Need network, to make money too. Making money, which they've never done. But but they have absolutely catalyzed it. They will they will stick around, I think, forever, whether owned by somebody else is a different question.
1: But when you look at the bits, when you look at the components, do you do you find them convincing? Uh, Would you do it differently? Is a a Jaguar I-Pace a better piece of work?
4: Yes. Or is that a ridiculous question? No, 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 I think that's a fair question. I I think what what, what you've got is is Tesla approached the problem from a let's build the car ground up from the battery in the base. So they sort of pioneered this battery in in the base, get it there. It sort of suits their big style, which is how these, these cars ended up you know if you look at the model s in particular it's a big thing on, on the road other car companies starting from where they are you take jaguar have to translate that into an suv when they do that i, I would say um and again william's probably a bit biased because we, we worked with jaguar on on that product that what that's done is uh translated into a genuine jaguar oem product so you get in an ipace it is what you expect from a car from today. Jaguars yeah, approach. but it's just electric. Yep. Whereas if you get in a, in a Tesla, it's an electric car and redefine mm. that a bit. You yeah. know, and I think that, that that's I where get you get it. with yeah. all these other products that, that, that we've just looked at. Yeah. Is that VWs or Jaguars will sell you something that feels. Looks and drives like a VW or a Jaguar, but it's electric. Very interesting. Tesla is a yeah. slightly different thing.
6: You know? Yeah, Tom. Like to just chucking two observations. One, one, and I'm pretty sure this is a public view that he's expressed on, on social media. The uh, the head of um, hybrid and EV systems for McLaren, um, I know quite well, and he's actually got a Model S. So he had an E63 Merck and he chopped it in for a Model S. Yeah. And actually, I, I had this debate because I, you know, I. I really admire Tesla, but I, I don't think they're a perfect product, and, um, and I frequently get lambasted by what I call the Teslarati on social media, who, who regularly tell me I'm wrong. And actually, one of the things, I, I, I had this debate, and I said, look, I, I've, you know, I've driven you know, quite a lot of EVs, and I said, for me, the I-Pace is a better engineered car than a Tesla, and he agreed. He said, you're absolutely right, I totally agree, it's a better engineered car, but I still bought the Tesla because it has a supercharged network. Yeah. And that's the reason... It, so, and actually, that's where I think... Yeah. That's actually, I actually going me to come on
1: to that and get you,
6: yeah. but get it's, you it's, to, to take us through a journey. Yeah. It's a non For me, it's a non, the non-engineering bit. So, actually, the, the things like the interface of the car, you know, the fact that they are really intelligent about the way they display things like charging maps and stuff in the car and charging points and how many are in use, all that data is available for non-Tesla brands as well. Yeah. The non-Tesla brands just don't seem to be interested in using that data and making no. enriching the experience. So, if you put a big battery and a big motor in a car, guess what? It goes far and it goes fast. It's not... It's not rocket science. Um, the, the other bits, I think, is what Tesla's done really well.
1: Let's just get. Uh, uh, would you will? Would you mind just uh, t- just take us through the rest because that's the end of.
3: Uh, yeah, of course. Uh, so yeah, as I say, Model Three. Personally, I think that's a, that's a step on from other Teslas like the Model S and Model X, uh, dynamically and. But build quality issues still still remain. So that, what we're talking about are those two there. Uh, they are available with bigger batteries. They're bigger cars, obviously, so um, they have the, the, the biggest batteries of any um, car, that, any production car on sale at the moment. Um, Pretty heavy, aren't they? Yeah, they're very, yeah very heavy things. I think the Model X is not, you know, a million miles off three tons, you know, with its with its. Uh, Sorry, it's for two point two eight or so. Or, uh, so, and then you've got we talked about the e course for a minute ago. Then you've got the e golf from the e up. The e up is about to be replaced, so. Uh, the Up is the, only, the the Up is effectively the same car as a Skoda Citigo and a Seat me. Those two cars are being offered only uh, as EV versions very shortly. The Up will be available as a petrol and, a, a, and an EV but the range is the biggest problem with the car at the moment. Again it's similar to the smarts but the, the new version we're driving actually I think next month has, has, has got a, a significantly big battery so it should be better in that respect. The E-Golf not again. It's another a bit like the Leaf. It's a car that, as you were just saying, it feels like a Golf to drive. There are, it's a heavier thing, so perhaps you know it's dynamically not quite as good, but it does very much feel like a Golf, and yeah. all the control weights are very good by the standards of EVs.
1: Pretty refined,
3: but it, it, it refined rides yeah. well again by by EV standards. But the, the range is just uh, as things have just moved on uh, there, dramatically. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I think at the moment we we got about ninety. Yeah. is that all Nine, 98 something like that it was it wasn't it wasn't great that's so um, yeah, yeah off, off the top of my head I, i'm trying to remember a million figures but uh yeah it's it, it things have just moved on massively and if you think the leaf is the the, the bigger bigger battery leaf is 217 now the same right. kind of car yeah i mean you know, all. you've got to really love the way it drives for for that tom i wanna
1: you're the you're you're we've been fencing around the, the thing that's on all of our minds all the time and that is charging points, recharging, you know all about that, you deal with it every day. Um, Talk us through the last year or two, I mean I get your press releases, I see fast, rapid, hyper rapid, whatever the hell they are, chargers appearing quite often now, but I also know from my own experience that I have a charger at home, my house in Gloucestershire, another one where my little flat is in London, and I never go near a public charger, do people really trust, trust public charging? Talk us through, I was going to say before, talk us through a journey. Talk, take us on a long journey yourself that you do.
6: So, um, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a couple of examples. So, I, um, I, so for, for context, I um, actually, for, for a year on, so I turned up here last year in an I3, um, 33 kWh battery, uh, about 100, and realistic, hundred. I think I got 125 miles out of it once, but realistically, it's, it's a 100-mile car, roughly. Um, I now drive an e Nero, which obviously will throw up, Um, So that's got a battery size, almost double the size battery, and I can do 280 miles in it without... And I do motorway hacks all the time. So I do about 30,000 miles a year uh, in the EV. So, you know, that's the... Always EVs. Yeah, yeah, pure EV. So, um, and it's not hard. So I've I've got a two... I'm a two-car family. My wife's got a a little petrol Clio that does about 6,000 miles a year, and I've got a car that does... So most people have a -a 30,000-mile-a-year car and a -a 6,000-mile-a-year car and go, oh, let's make a -a 6,000-mile-a-year car in an EV. We've kind of gone the other way around. Um, But... um, you know, I, I think if I do a journey, so in, in that Zoe, I, you know, driven it to Manchester back in the day, not a problem. Um, you know, you, I, I've had to plan my charging en route. This is when I, I'm driving a car with a roughly 120-mile motorway range, real world. You know, I've got to think, okay, so it's 200-odd miles away. I'm not necessarily going to be able to charge when I get there, so let's sort of build in charging stops on the way. So I think with those type of range of vehicles, you know, the sort of 100-and-something-mile range cars, lots more planning was involved, you know. So you've got to go off the motorway and get uh, my choice was to go off the motorway. Obviously, there are there are rapid charges at uh, motorway services in the UK. I'll just leave that there. Um, but my choice was my choice was. Why does everyone know about them? My choice was uh, to go off the motorway. Um, and you know, I, I, so on the journey to Manchester, I, I charged twice on the way there, uh, you know, twenty odd minutes uh, each time, uh, and then actually probably did charge on the and, and twice on the way back.
1: And what are they? Just describe those charges. They're they're. How, what? How many?
6: We so they're, they're rapid on our definition. So 50 kilowatt on a Zoe. It was a rapid charge capable Zoe, so it could charge at 43 kilowatts on, on the AC connector. Um, so you're getting basically a, a sort of you know, replenishment of, of about I don't know in 20 minutes you'd probably get 100 miles of, of range, something like that. Um, and actually, you know, there's, there's kind of. What I'm trying to say is, with those type of vehicles, you almost have to sort of know what you're doing a bit more, and actually, you have to know the tricks of the trade. So, you know, things like the Zoe, you know, I always, I always, I never tried to charge the top end of the battery. I always got the battery as low as possible, and actually, you want to charge it from a sort of low state of charge to say 60, 70 percent. The, the last
1: 10 percent slower. Yeah, it's just like an
6: iPhone. So it starts quickly charging, and then the top of the battery is always slowly. So. If you're ever trying to charge on a, like a rapid charge when you're at 90%, just just unplug and get going because it's always going to be too so slow. So
1: that's a, that, that's a rule of thumb. Is it 80? Right,
6: pretty five, much 80, 80 to 90%, and just get going. I mean, I see guys had an interesting debate with a guy on a rapid charge the other day. It was at 99%, and I said there was someone queuing, and I said I was happy to be at the site and said. Um, you know, that's going to take a while and, you know, you, you'll probably get that percent if you just drive down the road and do some regenerative braking. Anyway, no, I've, the car will tell me when it's full. So <laughs> it's like, a bit of education is required. Um, but that, that's, that's the kind of, that's the sort of, but now, I think, in terms of a long journey, I mean, like, there aren't many people I know that will do a more than 200-mile journey in, in a sort of a regular context. And, and, you know, the cars that are coming out now, you can just do it. And, you yeah. know, yeah, you can do it in one. So the things you've got to think about are, you know the different types of charging that are out there. So you might want to charge on route, and actually our view is if you're going to do that, the, the best way to facilitate that is very quick charging at somewhere convenient that's got, you know, convenience offer, retail, coffee, food to go, maybe a forecourt, maybe a BP forecourt. Um, and, and if you don't want to do that, if you want to just get there and not stop on the way, which is, you know, you, you could argue it's more convenient than ever stopping, right? Then you, you want to have a, a slower charge probably while you're at the other end. So, the thing I always think about ch- EV charging is, and it, it is different from fueling, you know, it's a it's, it's different ballgame to fueling, is that the sort of equation is basically how far have you driven and how long are you going to be parked? That's all the equation you think about. So if you've driven a long way, you're going to be parked for ages, you can just charge slowly. You've got to have confidence you can charge. So things like hotels are going to get you know, proliferations of, of chargers. You know, it'll be like Wi-Fi. You know, you know, people used to turn up at hotels and ask, have you got Wi-Fi? And now it's, why haven't you got Wi-Fi? Yeah, you know? yeah, sure. And the same with charging. You know. Two years ago, people were turning up at hotels saying, oh, don't suppose you've got a charging point, or don't suppose I could chuck my three-pin plug through a window and charge. You know,
1: now it's like, what do you mean you haven't got a charging point? You're a hotel, for God's sake. Just tell us about, just, just. sorry to chase this, but, but tell us about, y- y- you're setting off on a long journey in your car, whatever it is. What's the mechanism? Do you, do you, do you sit down, I mean, I f- fly a little airplane for a ho- hobby, and what I have to do is look at the maps, rule lines on it, you get radio frequencies together and all that sort of thing. Is that what you do? do, you, do you... It's not as hard as that. Um, but it... <laughs> do, you, do you make notes and so on? Do you... No,
6: no. I mean, so so, so I, I, I'm a bad example because, bluntly, I, I kind of know where the charges are because you know, our, our, our map is in my head, basically. I know where the charges are. I can kind of, I can kind of go there, and I, I'm a nerd. Um, but actually, for, for, if you don't, I mean, if I chucked any of you in my keys now and just said, just drive to Manchester in my car, it's fully charged, it's parked outside, what are you going to do? There's a few things. One, charge points are in the sat-nav. So actually, if you're driving along, the car will intelligently say, you know, you've put in, you want to get to Manchester, you've not got enough charge to get to Manchester, would you like to stop at a charging point on the way? Yes, please, would you like me to find you one? Yes, please, boom, done. It would map you onto a charging point, potentially. Um, what's not quite there is the intelligence around, is that charger available? You know, uh, you know is, it, yeah, is it working, et cetera? Um, but actually the, the, the data is there, right? So people like us are supplying that data to Stuttgart and other places that OEMs are based. But their teams don't seem to be doing anything with that data broadly. So BMW is probably one example that is. So if you look at a BMW sat-nav and an i3, and not only are our charging points in the sat-nav, but there's a little green or an orange thing that tells you, is it, is it being used right now? So if you're driving near one, you think, well, actually, I'll, I might stop here. Oh, actually, it's being used. I'll carry on. I'll drive somewhere else. Absolutely. So all that can be built in. You know, we're going to have dynamic routing pretty, pretty soon. So you'd be able to say, yeah, drive me to Manchester in my car. Not only would it tell you where the charging points are, it would actually kind of predict Take if it's going to be available. And actually, if someone plugs in on your way, our server would ping you and actually it would reroute you so it would actually say someone's just plugged in at the charger that you're five minutes away from so we've dynamically rerouted you to one that's five miles further right. you, know, you don't even have to think about it. That, that's e- that's easy yeah. relatively in tech so that, that's, all, that's, all, that, that's what's going to probably change the confidence game in, in EV charging more than anything else. But, you know, we've got data we supply to lots of third parties. You find it on Google Maps. You know, there's an app called ZapMap, which all the EV drivers use yeah. kind of aggregates much of the information. Government is going to build its own kind of database. So the information around the charges is out there. And actually, one of the most common complaints we hear, you know, we, we run this um, thing called the Electric Vehicle Experience Centre for Milton Keynes, which is kind of a, a showroom where you can't buy a car. Uh, You can just test drive them, and and it's multi-brand. And one of the most common questions is, there's no charging points near me, or there's no charging points where I go. And you sort of interrogate, so where where do you go a lot? Where do you drive? Where do you live? And we show them the charging points that are near where they live or work, and they go, oh, I didn't know that was there. So visibility is like the second or third biggest thing in charging. It's got to be more visible. So, you know, slapping them somewhere where petrol and diesel car drivers are sitting there for two minutes. You know, holding a pump and going, oh, I didn't know I could charge my car at this forecourt. That's that's going to be a game changer as well. But yeah. also, I think just Is to there... build, on, sorry, sorry, Steve. No, go ahead.
5: It's just going to say just to build on point there that Tom was making. I think it's really interesting because when you talk to people about. Charge points. They always think, "Well, is there one near me? Is there one down the road from my house?" Actually, for most people, you don't want one down the road from your house because, as just Steve said, you know, you do most of your charging at home, and so actually, you want one where you're going. And in fact, that's true whether you have a house with a driveway or the people who have a flat. You know, people have a car because they travel somewhere. So actually, the important thing is to be able to travel and to be able to charge where you're going to, then that gives you your fuel while you're doing something else. You know, you should never... My humble view is that you should never be waiting for your car to charge. You should always be doing something else. So, as Tom said, the ideal is that you're at a hotel, so you're in your meeting, or you're having your nice meal, or whatever it is, and your car is doing something and not impinging on your day. But I think it is interesting. It it shouldn't actually be at home, because you've already got the means to charge there.
1: I've got a killer question for you, which is... I happen to know you. I happen to know that you you moved on from your job to a, other things. a secret but extremely high-powered job that we're going <laughs> to hear about later. But what what is your how what is your f- commitment to the EV now? Now that you don't you, you don't do it for a living, do you still have one? Believe in them? Would you own one yourself? Absolutely.
5: So, um, in fact, I love Zoe's so much that even my girlfriend is called Zoe. Um, <laughs> I have. Um, <laughs> um, I, uh, made for some interesting dates. Um, but, um, no, so I've got an EV on order. So, in fact, it's being a little slow in turning up, but it, I'm, I'm advised it should be there within the next couple of weeks. So, yeah, absolutely. I am, even though I don't have to, I am absolutely still in there with the EV, with the EV world.
1: Yeah, I see.
4: What about you two, blokes? What, what, what are you, how do you feel about them for your own use? So, I personally still drive a diesel car, uh, and that's. Um, <laughs> for the reason of, of driving a long distance. Now, at Williams, we do have a little pool of uh, Jaguar I-Paces. So, I do regularly drive a Jaguar I-Pace, and I sort of go up to Gaydon and back, that sort of thing. Um, but I, I do a, approximately 120-mile commute a couple of times a week, and I just feel that that just doesn't work at the moment. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm, well, I have the, yeah.
1: this out-and-back problem. People yeah. talk about a range of yeah. 250 miles, but to me, that's 125 miles, really, yeah. it's out-and-back. Yeah.
4: I can't but, be bothered. Um, but as, as I was saying before, I think that's a, that's a situation that will change for me within two to three years. You know? yeah. I just sense that the, the products will
1: yeah, be that. Yeah. I mean, it's ridiculous asking you what your favourite car is because you've probably got 200 favourites.
3: Yeah, that's, that's always a, a tough question to answer. But no, as I said earlier on, I think, I think there's, there's one view, and I think that's a little bit outdated, that electric cars can only make sense if you do you know, local journeys in cities, that kind of thing. Because actually, EVs are more expensive to buy than uh, an equivalent petrol uh, or even diesel car, even with government grants. So you actually, I would argue, need to do a reasonable number of miles to actually to make um, petrol, obviously diesel's getting more expensive all the time. Um, to use the example of, um, we've got a Zoe, I don't actually drive it very much, but, uh, but my wife was doing a 60 mile uh, round trip every day, was charging it either every other day or every, once every three days depending on the weather, time, time of the year and was it, it was making a lot of sense because obviously you're, you, you, we've got an economy seven overnight tariff that you, you have to plug in overnight and you, you get cheap electricity and it, it, it actually, you, yeah I, I say you need to do those miles before you actually for, for an EV to make sense unless you're doing it purely because you know, you, you you want to save company car tax, or you you, know, you 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 want to do something for the environment. I think there are two different, different, uh, slightly different reasons for buying one. But I yeah, I would argue you you, you need to do the Mars. Tom uh, and uh, sorry,
1: um, uh, yeah, Tom. We what are you? What can we expect about the density of of charging points? Do we have? What's going to change? Is it the speed of charging or the number of charging points or, or all of those?
6: Yeah, both. So
1: and, and is there a target? What, where, how,
6: how's it going to build up? So I had this, I was, I was actually speaking to one of your colleagues on the phone about this um, yesterday in terms of the sort of target. And um, it's funny, when the Daily, Mail, the Daily Mail, when the government announced, um, come, it was the Daily Mail, but I got my things <laughs> on. The government announced the whole 2040 thing last year, whenever it was, you know, the, the ban that's not a ban or whatever. Um, the Daily Mail phoned me and said, um, how many charging points are we going to need by 2040? And I said, I don't know. And they said, well, who knows? And I said, well, no one. But if anyone's gonna know, it's probably gonna be us. And they said, well how many is there gonna be? And I said, well, I don't know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands. What is it? How many? I don't know, maybe maybe hundreds of thousands. How many hundreds of thousands? I don't know. You know, they wanted to you know, They wanted an absolute figure. And <laughs> yeah. I said, Well if we quote you on it, are you gonna have a go at us? And I was like, well probably, yeah, if you give it a wrong number. So I think you, you know what I'd say is there's gonna be enough. Because um, the biggest the biggest thing is it's a bit like we, we're we're kind of in the you know, EVs haven't been around that long, and you know, in the early days of petrol and diesel, you know, petrol cars—not diesel cars you The early days of petrol cars, you know, you had to go to a chemist and get one of these, yeah, was filled with petroleum spirit from a chemist to fill your car. Yeah. You know, how bloody inconvenient is that? And it's yeah. glass as well. Um, People you know, still did it. Yeah. Well, yeah, but you know, that's the—we're uh, in kind of that. Phase with EVs. We're in the glass bottle of, of petroleum spirit of the chemist. So, we're on the, so we're on the way. So we're on the way. And I think that the most important thing is, um, it's a, there's businesses out there doing this now. So it's not a, it's not a we haven't got to sit around and go. Well, is government going to act? Because government doesn't need to do anything. It's private companies, you know, investing hundreds of millions of pounds in this stuff yeah, yeah. because. It's, it's going to happen and there's business models around it and, and it's in our interest to put enough charges down. So actually the, the biggest challenge today isn't are there enough charges, it's are they being used enough. Yeah. And you know, if you look at the charging networks out there, yeah. the average utilisation is in the sort Did of... You
1: see, I, I, I came across one in Twickenham, went to see a bloke and, and uh, pulled into this parking space and there's a snail walking across the, the top of a... A charging point, you know, peacefully knowing that he wasn't going to be disturbed. But yeah, and it's, it's true. You
6: know, there's, there's, you know, we've got to focus, you know, they're not, the, the, the networks at the moment are underutilized. Um, we, you know, so there isn't a problem with capacity, it's more a yeah. problem of visibility and utilization.
1: Okay, last big question, and then what, um, believe it or not, we've been prattling for a while. Um, I want to hear Paul on as much as he can tell us about Formula E, because I, I think that's another thread that we, we've never uh, attacked. At the moment, there's going to be a. Um, the problem we have is that is that uh, the government makes enormous amounts of money in tax on, on fossil fuels how, how what are they going to do when we're all charging with with electricity I and mean, they can't just put the price of electricity up because old ladies in with bar heaters will be charged four times as much will <laughs> not they
3: you don't
1: have one of these lights what's on. the what's <laughs> is there a solution does anybody have any idea
6: so, so, so I, was, well, I, was, I was being polite, but, yeah, yeah,
1: so... No, it is, but it's the thorny one, isn't it, because... Well, not, not, not really. No? No, I mean,
6: I, so, so, so there'll be groans probably about this, but, you know, everyone I've spoken to consistently in, in the industry, every institution I've spoken to in the industry over the last two years has a consistent same answer, which is basically some form of mileage-based pricing. You know, we all drive, you know, if you want to charge... If you want a tax that is basically going towards the maintenance... I mean, not saying that most of it does today, but going towards the maintenance, upkeep, blah, blah, blah of roads, building new roads. Maintenance, you know, it's only fair to tax people more if they use it more, right? So if yeah. you've actually got a Jaguar E-Type you're shoving the garage... <coughs> know,
1: so road mark, pricing for you. Yeah, same yeah, that. You road
6: know, pricing. Yeah. That's what we've kind of seen in the, in the media in the last week. We've seen that yeah. know, the, the plans have been in a, in a drawer for three years, just not actually implemented.
1: Makes sense to me, but I, I think there'll be a lot of people complaining about the world knowing where they are, I guess. Um, Paul, we, we are yeah. going to do some Q&A later but I just want to attack this one uh, problem. Williams has got a proud pedigree in Formula E. I think the, yeah. they made the batteries for quite a long time. Yes, we did, yeah. And of course you operate a team. Yeah. Tell us about the progress of Formula E and what you're b- b- looking for, I mean I appreciate you're biased but, 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 but I'm looking for an opinion about what it contributes, wh- what it's going to help us with in the future, that sort of thing. Is it? Is it just a cute competition, or is it really going somewhere?
4: Yeah, so, so in, as part of answering that, I'd like to bring in two additional topics that people worry about. We sort of almost touched there, which one, one was degradation of batteries. Do they degrade over time? So does that give us a depreciation problem? Which I'll try and tie into Formula E, and and the other one is safety or, of these things. You know, so you do see reports of Teslas going <coughs> up in flames and things like that. So so. You know both of those are a good topics to touch on so formula e um yes i am a bit biased but i do believe that uh, what that has achieved is trickled down a surprising amount of technology in, into the mainstream uh, there's, there's a lot of the major oems vw audi renault psa involved in it one way or another now and it, it's not, it's one of these glib things that's said, but it is actually true, that, that motorsport is a really nice test bed for things because you can design something, put it on a track, it's actually in a very controlled environment, you know who the driver is, you're getting telematics back about what's happening the whole time, if there's a problem you can say come into the pits, it, It's it's a great laboratory in a safe and controlled way, which is quite different to putting a car out with a customer. When you give a car to the customer in general, you've got to have tested everything that the one in one millionth customer might think of doing stupidly with that <laughs> thing, you know? <laughs> so, so it's a great sense of paranoia about really covering all the bases. You don't have that in motorsport, you've got a controlled environment, you can try things out. So. We've been able to take stuff from universities. We've been able to take experimental cells. We've been able to take experimental materials, put them on uh, Formula E cars, see how it goes. Yes, that works or doesn't. Then we feed that back into the mainstream. And you have to run it at the limit too, I presume. And and you have to run it at the limit. Now, coming back to where where I started, I mean, safety is, is definitely a big part of that. So I think if anybody follows Formula E, the very first Formula E race, there was a big crash, car turned over, um, the the battery was still operable at the end of that, you know. So so it, we didn't run it again, but we took it back. We looked at it. We could talk to it. It would communicate, and, and so that the safety cage around that, that the systems we'd built in to shut it down when it sensed that it was in a in a situation, worked. And the um, the technologies come back from that. Just to say a few words. So. so Everybody uh, knows about it. So if you put an EV or any form of battery into the market, there's there's a whole series of standards that you have to pass. So, for example, just to give some sense of it, you have to make one of the individual cells go up in flames, and you need to prove that that won't propagate around Mm -hmm. the battery within a set, Time, You have to physically put the battery in a fire of gasoline underneath it for five minutes, take it out again, okay. check it doesn't respond to... Five minutes? Yeah, for flame afterwards. Yeah, you know, it, you, we have to put it in the, the thing in a swimming pool, leave it down um, for, for less than, for more than one meter down, game for 10 minutes, take it out, has it leaks. So, so there's an awful lot of regulation that go, goes goes around it. And the technologies to make that happen have trickled down for motorsport, um, I, I think. And I was talking about degradation as well. So that, that that's another... Really interesting topic. Most of the warranties that go out now talk about eight years or 100,000 miles. Um, I don't know whether some people like Kia or something go even more than that, but mainstream engineering says, okay, the battery must still be at 80% capacity Uh, of eight years, 100,000 miles. Now, what that means for a manufacturer is that they look at a sort of standard drive cycle of what they expect a customer will do and they make sure their warranty returns are going to be manageable within that. So it's not that every single battery will get through that, but it's a a manageable warranty cost for for people if they do that. So I think a lot of the early worries, which I think drove, I think, some of the leasing models for for Zoe and, you know, early worries of that have decreased uh, a lot. Um, another related issue is obsolescence, because if we're talking about batteries getting 5% better every year. If you've got a car that's 10 years old, do, do I need to change the battery or not? I think, I think manufacturers are trying to build in much more into the architecture of cars now, that it would be a reasonable proposition to swap the battery at some point in a second life after All this
1: skateboard so technology the moment, yeah. helps with that, doesn't it? It does, it. yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, what about just uh, one thing about battery performance?
4: You, you yeah. know, isn't it,
1: <coughs> is this the first season where <coughs> you don't have to have two cars in a race? Yeah. and yeah, Does so that imply
4: that the batteries are performing better? It is. Yeah. So, so just to give the history of Formula e, I don't know, to the extent, that people followed it, and Williams provided the batteries to all the cars for the first four seasons. That was a 30 kilowatt-hour pack, <coughs> capable of up to a maximum of about 200 horsepower, 200 kilowatts. Sorry. Um, and that had to have a swap midway, so there was an event where the driver came in, did a Le Mans type leap from one car to the other uh, and, and went again. The, the beginning of last season, because we're just about into the second season now, of cars with a single battery, which is a 54 kilowatt-hour battery, power increased to 250 kilowatts maximum. Um, <clears throat> the weight of that pack went up by about 40 kilos, something like that. So it was around about 300 before. So not, 30, not that much. Not that much for almost a doubling of energy. And that gives you some sense of what happened across around about five years of technology um, at, at the forefront. So
1: do you reckon, <coughs> bottom line, yeah. do you reckon we, we should be watching it? We should be, we should be sort of taking more notice of it than perhaps I do?
4: I think, I think it's well worth a, a look. I mean, if, you, if you're a Formula One fan, I'm, I'm guessing from the demographic in here, a lot of people will be because, as, as we know in Williams, that our demographic is, is in the 50s uh, plus for, for Formula One watching. So Formula E is very much um, geared at a younger audience. But it's very exciting racing because all, all the uh, races are in a city circuit um, so that it, it's tight... The cars are kept together. They're trying to produce other interesting things like so-called fan boost, where somebody can get a bit of extra power um, during it. And uh, yeah. it makes for, for a nice spectacle dragging drag in a younger audience. But I think it will accelerate and accelerate away. There's a lot more money coming into it now than it was in the early years. And the technology will get it faster and faster. Yeah. Okay, let's do some Q&A. Yeah, that
0: yeah okay, oh. just hang on just a second, Steve. Can I just thank Steve Cropley, Paul McNamara, (laughs) Bill Nightingale, Tom Pallow and Ben Fletcher. Thank you all, gentlemen. Fabulous conversation. Um, Steve and I chatted earlier and we've got a couple of questions for you. After last year's EV talk, how many people from the audience went out and as a result of our conversation, went out and bought an EV.
1: Nobody?
0: Yeah, one over there. (laughs) Two. (laughs) Two.
1: Three.
0: Three. Subsequent question. How many of you are thinking about your next vehicle to be an EV? Very
1: interesting.
0: Interesting change. Okay, the floor is yours. Questions, ladies and gentlemen? Are you
5: right. going to do this? Thing? I'll do this, yeah.
1: You just don't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um. Thank you for the very interesting talk. My oldest son has got two electric cars and he's trying to convince me this is the answer, so I've got some feedback for him. The thing that concerns me, if a battery life is um, eight years or 100,000 miles, would the cost of the um, replacement batteries actually exceed the value of the car at that point?
5: I think I I can delve in on that one, and I'm sure other people can help, but I think the point to make there is that we were saying that after eight years, 100,000 miles, we're actually not saying that it's binary. We're not saying that battery is broken. We're just saying that actually the manufacturer's warranty, which. Don't forget, manufacturers don't really want to pay out on that, so that's the absolute minimum they think that it'll be at that level. So they're expecting it to be more than 80%. So even after eight years, 100,000 miles, we're still talking about something which has at least 80% of its original performance. So when you take that as a percentage of the original range, which is not a perfect comparison, but generally it'll do, actually it's still doing 80% of its original range, which by the time that that car is then out there eight years old, 100,000 miles old actually that will still be doing the work that most people will need that car to to do so Actually, from my point of view, I think that it's, it's just a different way of thinking about these things because we're, li- we're, we're used to, li- uh, to thinking about warranties as being either something works or it doesn't. You know, a headlight either works or it doesn't. An engine either works or it doesn't. Actually, this is something which actually just degrades yeah. a bit over time. Do they de- do they,
1: does anybody know, do they degrade in a straight l- on, on a curve or in a straight line? What happens to batteries?
4: It's... Um sort of a straight line and it, it will fall off a cliff at some okay. point, yeah, okay. it will fall off
0: Another uh, question yeah. at the back, ladies and gentlemen. Yes,
2: sir. Yeah. Uh, thanks for the talk, but you've obfuscated my question. You didn't really address the point. The very fundamental point is where is all this energy going to come from? Think of all the petrol stations that are pumping um, about 100 kilowatt hours in, in a few moments. You're going to have enormous queues at these charging points, if there is going to be enough electricity. What happens if you have to use your heater and you're stuck in uh, freezing conditions? Your battery will degrade because it doesn't like low temperatures. If it's hot in a traffic jam, you're going to use the air conditioning. There are so many... And what about the environmental costs? Of producing a, these batteries and disposing of them. We There's have so many other things stuff. too that you have not addressed. You've just given us all the positives, and you've been dishonest in not underlining the important negative aspects. The wiring to these these charging points. Are the plugs going to be compatible? I shouldn't think so, because manufacturers will yeah. want to use their own kind of connectors. It, the list goes on and on. But I don't even think you'll be able to answer my questions.
5: Well, that sounds <laughs> I, like a
2: challenge, doesn't it, Tom? <laughs> I feel like I should no, have no, had no, a pen I, and paper. Yeah, right. Okay, so, so, uh, so serious
6: serious, serious it, questions. Uh, can
0: I them? just answer from my point of view? I take it so you're not an advocate of EV. I'm
6: not My whole You raise serious questions. I'm going to try and... sit. Se- uh, uh, I will try and seriously answer them. Okay. You, can I can I can I have an opportunity to try and answer rather than just carrying on? Um, okay. So, electricity. Where is it going to come from? So, a few points around this. Um, I'll try and be as brief as I can. Um, key factors involved in EVs. Um, there's no point in driving electric cars unless the grid decarbonises. Okay. So, there's the carbon environment. There's the environment aspect of electricity itself. The UK, possibly more than most other markets in the world, has taken huge strides to decarbonise the energy sector. So the energy sector in the UK has decarbonised faster than probably any other country in the world, potentially, um, certainly faster than the transport sector by a long way. Um, so we're getting to the point now where um, the majority of the electricity generated uh, by the end of this year, for the first time, will be effectively either renewable or nuclear. So, and, and coal has been switched off for, for almost a month, I think, or two months at one point during the year. So energy is getting cleaner. In terms of the amount of energy that you need, um, it's worth pointing out that a hell of a lot of energy goes into refining petroleum, by the way. Um, a hell of a lot more goes into refining uh, hydrogen, by the way, as well. You need about four times as much electricity to power one mile of a hydrogen car as you do one mile of an electric car. Um, the natural grid peak, um, peak demand is around about 60 gigawatts for anyone that cares. So it's about 50 to 6 to 60 gigawatts is the kind of peak load on, on, on our system. Um, if you have unregulated charging, and by that I mean if everyone can just plug in when they want, and particularly at home charging when the big peak is in the evening, because that's when most people are going to charge, bluntly, um, unregulated charging will increase that to a, by, by about 18 gigawatts. Okay, so it's like a third of the demand increase. That is not going to happen. We can't let that happen. That is not going to happen. That won't work. We can't increase demand by a third. It's not going to work. So what we're going to see is um, we're going to see a lot of potential mandates coming in, but incentives to get consumers to do what is called smart charging, which is you know, a nice, snazzy term. But all it means is you, you charge at times when the grid is, is demand is otherwise low, i.e. overnight, Guess what? Cars tend to be parked overnight, so that's quite convenient. And you charge in ways at a lower rate. So if you don't, you know, if you're driving an average of 30 miles a day, you're actually only using about 10 kilowatt hours. On my home charges, I can do that in an hour and a half. Um, so why don't I spread that hour and a half actually over 10 hours while I'm sleeping? Well, I'm probably not sleeping 10 hours as a 10 month old. Um, but you know, why don't I spread spread that over a night and actually charge at a very low rate to distribute that energy? So you'll see smart charging happen. And what National Grid, and these are figures from National Grid, I don't know as much as National Grid. I'm not sure any I don't, if you want to claim to know more than National Grid, you're very welcome. I don't. Um, national Grid say that will, re, that will reduce that peak, that peak excess peak by about to, to about 5 gigawatts. So you're talking about less than 10% increase in peak, in peak demand. Now, that's by 2050, by the way. And by 2050, they're also predicting that the peak from everything else that's not an EV will go down by more than 10%. So actually, you've got everything else consuming electricity over time as everything gets more efficient doing this. And EVs, yes, will do this, by the way, massively. But they will they will coincide. The national grid says, we're happy about this. We're comfortable with the trajectory of charging in this sense. So that's kind of energy. Um, The overall amount of energy that you need to charge an EV, um, you know, in terms of actual energy, so not just electricity, again, a lot of energy goes into petroleum. Those those things will go down as EVs go up. Um, In terms of queues at charging points, as I've said, most charging will happen overnight at the home. And, you know, I'm sure you know BP's got interest in making people charge during the day, for court. But it recognises, even as an oil company, most people are going to charge in the most convenient place, at the cheapest price, which will be at home overnight. So you'll get distributed charging at home. Um, we're going to see massive amounts of that. It's, it's, you know, there will be enough charging points to satisfy demand because there's there's business models around it. In the same way that there's enough petrol stations, there'll be enough charging stations, because there's business models around that. Um, What else? Um, In terms of the uh, environmental cost of batteries, yes, there are legitimate questions about how batteries are made today. Yes, there are legitimate questions about supply chains. Um, Some of the uh, contents of EV batteries are made in conditions that are not acceptable today, and those should be called out for for what they are. Um, uh, The refinement process around petroleum isn't um, you know, hugely environmentally, uh, uh, you know, drilling oil out the ground isn't hugely environmentally um, positive either. But you know, it happens. Uh, there are environmental and ethical issues around it which need to be addressed. The good news is that some of the, if you like, dicier materials in batteries, so cobalt, for those of you that have sort of researched this, um, is decreasing. So the amount of cobalt in an EV battery is not only decreasing, um, a lot of engineers think they might even be able to engineer it out eventually. I'm not saying that may may happen. It's certainly decreasing in content, so that means you're putting pressure on those supply chains to actually clean up, because the demand won't be there for their product. Wiring for the charging points interoperability? Yes. Um, it, charging points are inherently universal. They have to be by law. We are a regulated industry. Um, if we don't lay down infrastructure that is universal, we get fined by government. So, the inter- if you buy an EV today, you'll be able to charge you know, on the public charging network without worrying. Well, will they have the right connector and will it fit my car and all that? It's, it's, it's mandated by law. So, I'm trying to. I think that's probably covered as much as I can.
0: Brilliant. Yeah, okay. can I have a-
2: having enough battery storage for that. And there will be storage farms and so on. But one of the points made was that there will be a massive capacity of batteries in cars. And that the proposition is there, and apparently there are moves for this to happen, that cars will be able to charge at a cheap rate overnight, but in fact feed it back into the grid at peak times. Has the panel got anything to say about
6: well, it's yes thing yes, yes but it. I think I should let other people speak <laughs> <laughs> in the next five minutes.
1: It is a thing that, that we've heard a bit a good deal about quite often there are serious studies underway, Nissan do it, don't they? And, yep. and ben, you must know this.
5: Yes, so, um, yes, you're absolutely right, sir. So that's definitely something that's being looked at. And in fact, there's some quite interesting real world things that happened. So, for example, after Fukushima, there were a lot of Nissan LEAFs in that area that were actually used as mobile, mobile energy storage for people in that area. So they didn't have access to electricity at home. Is that, the, that was a nuclear disaster. That's right, yeah, in, um, in Japan. And so after that there were huge areas where there there wasn't much power and actually they were able to use electric vehicles to get power to where where people actually needed it. On a slightly less dramatic but probably slightly closer to home example, um, I was involved in a project which was up on the Isle of Harris um, where we put in some electric vehicles there. And the idea there was that up on the Isle of Harris there's a huge wind farm, absolutely enormous, but the problem is that the interconnect to the line to the mainland actually isn't big enough to take the amount of power that that um, wind farm can take. So instead of trying to upgrade that, they put in a fleet of electric cars for local people to use as car sharing schemes. Right. And so they were able to use a lot of the power that was, that was being generated. It was also able to reduce the cost for local people to get around, because as you can imagine, there might be some very wealthy people on the Isle of Harris. There are also some people there who are perhaps not quite so well off. So it gave them access to a new modern form of transport, as well as trying to help this, the energy ecosystem. So exactly as Tom said. Actually, electric vehicles are a big part of the solution to our future energy needs. They're actually not really part of the the
1: problem. At times, a local solution, if necessary. Mm. I know
6: I said I wasn't going to speak, but just very quickly. So (laughs) One of the big reasons why we've seen renewable energy take off so so quickly, uh, globally, not just in the UK, um, and and I think I'm going to get this wrong, offshore wind is now the cheapest form of electricity generation to deploy anywhere. So in terms of what you get, in terms of the actual price of the energy that you spit out of it, it's the cheapest form of electricity generation to deploy. And it's the first form of energy, I think I'm right in saying, that's actually being deployed without subsidy. So it can go down without government subsidy, for example. And one of the things that's driven that is the cost of batteries. And I know that sounds weird, but one of the things, as as the gentleman here has rightly pointed out, is that uh, an issue with renewables is that renewable energy is often generating power when it's not needed. So to make it economically viable, you have to store it. And battery storage has been expensive. So when I started in this game, um, a kilowatt, one kilowatt yeah, this is wrong. A kilowatt hour, um, bat- one kilowatt hour of a battery, um, cost about $1,000. It $1,000 per kilowatt hour. Does that sound about right? Steve? I think, I think so. it's about right. I, yeah, so we're talking nine, ten years ago. Today, one kilowatt hour battery storage, generally speaking, on the mobile market, is just over $100. So the price has come down by 90%. So actually, or to 10%, I should say. So um, the cheapness of batteries, if you like, Energy for a mass energy storage, We're not talking about cars here, just massive energy storage solutions, you know, shipping container size stuff, has made renewables economically viable. So, actually, the sort of power station of the future won't necessarily be generating anything on site. It might be a battery in a big old you know, industrial site that's just storing the stuff, and, and the generation is miles away.
0: Mm. Okay, I want to get through as many questions as possible. I know I've got another couple of gentlemen in, in the middle here. Yes.
5: I <laughs> can so, I've been an iPace owner for seven months. Um, the biggest challenge I find is not the range. Once you get to 200 miles plus, it's fine.
0: The biggest challenge is the speed of charging. And what I want to be able to do is pull into a BP service station, charge up in 10 minutes, and get 200 miles. That means I need a
5: 500 kilowatt charger. Can you talk about um, there are 500 kilowatt chargers being developed? Can you talk about when they'll be available, one? And secondly, When will the cars be available that can tank a 500 kilowatt charger? And can I convert my iPace, which as you know is 100 kilowatt, to 500 kilowatt? Because Jaguar can't tell me.
4: (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Uh, So so I run for you. Yeah, Yeah. I I think when the chargers will be available, we'll have to answer with BP. But on on the car, no, you can't convert it. it. It is engineered to what it is today and it will be future cars that are willing to accept those very high rates of charge. one One of the things that's sort of counterintuitive is that the future cars are going to have to be designed around their speed of charging rather than their power delivery Sort of mounts to the same thing: how fast you put electricity in, or how fast you take it out. You've got to have the cooling systems, the the size of copper, ultimately taking the currents all size to that, and it tends to get. It will have to be in the future size around the charging, which is a tougher thing to do than actually drive the car. But right now, your eye pace is what it is. There won't be an upgrade. That's that's a future. Just car. just
1: talking fast charging very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the, what's the, the people talk about damage to, to batteries. You know trickle charge doesn't do any harm, give it a big boot and it does what 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 should an owner do
4: I think that that's absolutely right. we alluded to it uh, a bit earlier is is that the cars will last longer if charged more slowly um, and the way most current cars are is they'll allow a certain number of very fast charges and then they'll start to say, to advise you, do you really want to I do that? It. So, yeah. so, so it's just a tougher engineering challenge to allow it to charge very quickly. And
1: it, is it, you sort of touched on it before, but it's yeah. beneficial to stop at 85 rather than? T-
4: yes, yeah, so, so one way of making it uh, if you charge 20% in the middle, 40% to 60% fast and do that the whole time, that's much less damaging than trying to go from 5% to 95%, you know. Right. Okay, thank on. you. Yeah. Um, three more questions. i have got three hands
0: up and then we'll call it the day. Yes, sir,
5: there you go. Uh, just a simple one here. Um, what's the cost per mile for diesel, petrol
4: and electricity? Uh, taking out the capital cost of the car. If I want to go up to York, what would it cost me per mile?
3: So well, like, uh, it, it obviously depends where you're charging. So, if you're charging at home or on an Economy 7 tariff, which is where you get cheaper electricity overnight, that's the, that's the cheapest way of doing it. Uh, an EV will be significantly cheaper.
5: But, but if, you, if you just take the, the cheapest deal, how, what's the difference? I just wanted to
3: find out. If what? I... Do, oh, sorry. Sorry, well, yeah. uh No, I think one might sort of, uh, Yeah. Uh, so... We, the, the cars we test... Um, at Milbrook we do all our own real range tests. And you're looking at something as little as 4p a mile, something like that. Obviously, if you're charging at a, a, a motorway service station or an electricity point, you're charged a much yeah. higher rate per kilowatt hour, so that's going to increase it. So it really depends where you're
5: charging up. And, Either way... And, and what's the it, petrol, what's the diesel cost?
3: It depends on the diesel. Obviously, you've, you've got 70 mile per gallon diesel cars, right down to sort of 35 MPG diesel cars. It really does depend. It's dramatically cheaper Um, if you charge at home for an EV per mile than either petrol or diesel. Uh,
2: Thank you, it's been a really interesting uh, evening. I've learned an awful lot tonight. I've just got one question about batteries. When they reach the end of their life, what happens then? Because lithium is not a very nice material. And what what is the present and the future?
4: There's two things going on, I think, in the industry. So, so the first is second life, which is just delaying the inevitable. But certainly, um, as, as we discussed, the, the batteries are swapped to 80%, have still got a lot of uh, potential use, and the industry's moving towards using that as a static storage uh, case for storing electricity. And it goes in back out to the grid. So, so uh, we at Williams have done work. There's a lot of people working on that. Ultimately, a battery will have to be recycled. Um, that industry is developing. The, the the first major plant is in Belgium. Uh, essentially, it's a chemical recycling process that is recovering most of the precious metals from it and uh, bringing that out. So, I think as that the reality where we are now, there just aren't enough batteries out there needing recycling from, from, from large uh, EVs. We're just still at the start of that journey, but that is the technology exists. It, it's, as I say, it's a chemical type process as a plant in, in Belgium. There will be a lot more of them around. Uh, it's, it's another cost that will start feeding its way into the chain somewhere, but technically it's okay. Uh, gentlemen, thank you very much for in, uh, interesting
1: uh, conversations. I've got a question regarding Um, the different uh, companies that supply uh, electricity to um, we electric car users. I've been an electric car user now for 18 months, I guess, Uh, and I do charge at home almost 95% probably. Um, But one has to be careful um, or at least aware of the different companies that are involved in um, providing electricity throughout the the country. Is there any chance that there might be some... uh, commonality between the companies so that we don't have to think, have I got the right app on my phone or have I got the right card with me or have I subscribed to the right company to be able to make my journey without making a detour? Tom, you're good at this one. Yeah, so
6: um, very simply, I mean, the, the kind of charging that you're going to need. So, when you talk about needing to charge your car, it's very unlikely that you're going to need, you're going to head to a slow charging point. If you really need charging, you need a rapid charger. Um, all uh, new rapid chargers that we deploy, on new ultra-fast chargers as well, have um, contactless bank card payments, so tap and pay bank card payment the government 's basically said it 's going to mandate that from spring next year we 're doing it early and we 're also going to retrofit all of our old, uh, our old rapid charges we 're going to retrofit those so um, that 's where the standard will go. It will go if you 've got sort of like that fast charge that you kind of happen upon on a long journey, uh, it should have contactless payment you know, within say twelve months. Uh, the, the, the operators that don 't offer you that in twelve months are probably going to you know, I think consumers are going to vote with their feet. Um, but that's going to be the sort of standard that you have. So that will be the kind of baseline. And if you want to have some kind of membership above that, that's fine. But the kind of baseline ad hoc access should be contactless bank card.
5: On a safety aspect, it's noticeable how quiet uh, EVs are. And in an age when you get people walking along the pavement looking at their iPhone with headphones on and then step out into the road and they don't don't even hear ordinary petrol and diesel cars coming... Is that problem not going to get worse with, with quiet electric cars? I know I've heard it said, well, yeah, they still make wheel noise and tyre noise, but is that really an adequate safety precaution to prevent those sort of accidents? And the other quick question is, in the light of the news on Brexit today, is this whole area of EV technology something that the country could really become the leader on?
4: Well to the point. I can do the noise if you want.
5: Yeah, yeah I can do so, for, so in terms of the pedestrian noise, I think that one of the points you raised there is a very, very salient one. That actually internal combustion cars are really, really quiet. And there's, as you say, a lot of people walking around with headphones in. So even if they're standing next to a Ferrari, they can't hear it anyway. But there are some, uh, there are recently uh, announced some new rules, which are that electric vehicles will be making a noise. So actually, in some of
1: them Renault, do already, don't they? Yeah,
5: it? exactly. In the Renault range, actually, from the launch of Zoe, that's made a yeah, that's made a noise. IPAce does. Some of the Teslas do. Um, some of the Nissans do. Um, some of the Mitsubishi's already do. But that's going to become an industry standard that people will that people will be able to hear this noise. Um, because you're right, at low speeds, they they aren't they aren't particularly noisy. But I think that does give another challenge, where actually that's also a benefit. That actually it means that everything is a little bit quieter. So just need to be a bit careful about replacing natural noise with with fake noise, but yes, that's definitely something which is already out there and which is being legislated for
4: as well.
0: Okay, I've got a gentleman Sorry, here that's... Can, 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 can,
4: can I just deal with that second part of the yeah, question? Since sure. actually that's a topic of interest to us all here. So there is an industrial question about this, and particularly for the UK. We produce in the UK far more internal combustion engines than we do cars, and we produce a lot of cars and a lot of internal combustion engines. We have a danger that in electrification, all those uh, power plants are getting imported from outside and, and we're losing a key industrial strength of this country. So, I think it is important. Williams are passionate about that. JLR are, are a champion as well. We've got to get battery production, particularly in the UK. That's at a chemical cell level as well as putting the whole packs together. Uh, we've set up a factory in Coventry, which we, we feel we, we can grow within the premium sector and create, but that, that is something I I think I think the government's on board with, and they've put something around the best part of a billion aside on sort of battery technology that they've spent in terms of industrialisation and R&D, helping the universities to try and build an industry here in the UK based around electrification.
1: Isn't it also the case though that your companies like yours proliferate in this in this country, and and the UK is already very strong in forward. Technology and and uh, so, you know the gentleman well, I think was was alluding to the fact that there's an opportunity for for technology companies um, and uh, my deliberations, my reporting jobs tell me that that uh, it's already very strong. It's a matter of. Yeah. The cross, crossing the great divide, getting if things... It is
4: into, into an industrial <laughs> thing. Uh, and that, that's the problem, is, is there's a lot of innovative companies, the Formula One industry is basically based here, the universities are fantastic, the lithium-ion battery was invented in Oxford in 1977, but it's all made in the Far East now. Uh, uh, we, we've got to take what we have learned here and get it into industrial-sized scale-ups, and I think the government's behind that, and I think there's a lot of people a lot of energy to try and make that happen, but it is very important, yeah.
2: Thank you, gentlemen.
0: We've heard a lot about charging and range of electric vehicles. But I think what a lot of us who don't have one will be interested to know is uh, how these things actually drive, especially as a lot of us are interested in driving. That's why we're here. Now, I'm not talking about the top-end stuff, the Teslas and the IPaces, But if one took, for example, the bottom end of the market, the, um, the VW up, the Courses, the Zoe's, a typical petrol car of that sort would be driven by a sub-1 litre three-cylinder turbo engine. If we took those cars fully laden on a steady hill, would the electric car have a similar torque characteristic? Would would have as much pull as a petrol car.
3: I'll spend a lot of time driving them, so I might, might as well answer that. Um, <laughs> Yeah, well, firstly, I think you'd be pleasantly surprised if you, compared with a, a, a small capacity petrol engine, you, you get an equivalent sized electric car, it will have vastly more torque. It, it, if you can look at something like an MG ZS EV that we looked at earlier on, that's got a one litre turbocharged engine as standard. The EV version is, is, it has a lot more power. Vastly more torque as well, so so double, yeah.
1: isn't it? double something like
3: yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's 140 brake horsepower and, and, yeah, and double the torque. So you've got that um, immediate response from an electric car. So it's not just on ultimate acceleration times; it feels quicker. Um, and I think that's something that's, that that that's been lost perhaps with uh, turbocharged engines, and you get back a bit with EVs. There are obviously some shortcomings as, as well. I mean, it's getting better and better all the time, but regenerative brakes are, they 're less predictable in the response than uh, conventional brakes that some companies do that better than others but but that 's something that that 's getting better all the time the
1: thing you uh, you can also that, that, that is, is also really noticeable is the refinement and low speed and the, and the precision the departure from rest in an electric car is so predictable so you get exactly what you ask for and you suddenly realise when you've been driving EVs for a while that you've been depending all these years on an engine to breathe in a column of gas, which suddenly seems like a a really silly idea. I think that an EV delivers what you ask for, no more, no less.
0: Can I bring it to a closer, ladies and gentlemen? Thank these uh, gentlemen here this evening. for making this happen. I guess we'll probably revisit it in another year.